Christian Blatt here. As always, for all of your Black casting needs, you can, of course, like the Blattcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, on Facebook, follow at Blattcast on Twitter, and of course, Blattcast.com, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. That's right, I spelled it twice. Join in studio for a return visit by the one and only Mr. Tim Sicardo at Tim Sicardo. Always important to get the social media out there because you're a tweeting fool. Ah, uh, all over the place. Yeah, pretty much just on Twitter. It, it's so every episode you have to spell black cast. I do just because you never know when somebody people don't know how to spell cast. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's very difficult. It might be spelled like outcast, by mm-hmm. the way. Oh my lord! <laughs> so we could actually do a B L A D T K A S T. I like that. Probably the episode would be called "Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture." Okay, that, we can do that. Maybe that's this one. Does this one have an episode name, or do you do that after? I usually do it after because sometimes, because you are on, maybe I would think, like, all right, I'll come up with something that has to do with him. But more than likely, during the course of a conversation, something comes up, and we're like, yep, that's going to be yeah. what this one is. But you I used w- to do it after the numbers, and that must have become impossible. Y- it got very difficult because when you have under 100, it's all right. You know, yeah. like basically right up until 99 problems, but a black cast ain't one. Yeah. It, it got a little bit more difficult, but there been moments where it has worked but as i mentioned tim sicardo here is a return guest for the black cast it's been a little while though do you remember what number i was on in fact i do your conversation was broken up over two episodes you were in black casts number 10 and 11 really yeah so I believe you were the first guest ever on the Blackcast because before that it was just me and the guys from the Dennis Miller show just shooting the shit and you know talking. And as we're talking now, earlier this week, where this episode is posted earlier this week, I put together a little compilation of those two visits that you did. Oh, boy. And I re-listened. And it's a good thing I re-listened because a lot of the things I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk to Tim about this. I'm going to talk to Tim about that. No, we already talked about it. We have like but, five old stories. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. There's a certain point where we had to kind of stop, you know, because somebody else needed the studio. Hashtag radio. Hashtag old media. Hashtag, huh? I don't know what that hashtag is. We can is stay about. here all day, right? Yeah, we're pretty much here uh, through Christmas. So like we, have, we have a lot of stories to tell. But we stopped very abruptly. We were sort of weaving a tale. So, you know, look, it's only been, what, 230 plus black casts since you've been on. So there's a little bit to catch up on, I suppose. Yeah, give me the, like, previously on. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about doing one of those. Last time on the Blackcast, we talked about how we both interned on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and that was the first time that I ever told the Max Weinberg in the NBC Fitness Center story, which I had occasion to tell again very recently in the Blackcast. Blackcast 233 with our friend Farad Muhammad. I, I told it then, and I, I was like, I know I told it before, and then I was re-listening to that in anticipation 
of our... You know, that was before I was reunited with old Conan writer from that era, Greg Cohen. We work together now. You worked with Greg Cohen now yeah, yeah, on yeah. American Death. Uh, yeah, yeah, Spoiler, so, like, that's where you work now. So, so I, I, I'd be like, hey, remember when I used to get you coffee? And he'd be like, no, I don't remember that at all. Of course I don't remember that. It's funny because I feel like a lot of those people wouldn't remember you. And I, I'm pro- and I don't mean just you. I mean us, like interns. It's not like something like unmemorable about you. Yeah. But I think that the majority of those writers I would expect to not remember me. I just have this feeling in the back of my mind, though, that if I ran into Brian Stack, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in television, he's a writer on Colbert now, but he'd be like, oh, hey, Christian, how's it going? I always feel like that's what would happen. That exact thing has happened to me, and he's remembered me to the extent that he knew my name and face. Yeah, Um, which is all I want, really. I don't want him to know any distinguishing moles or birthmarks. Andy Richter saw my sister somewhere, and she asked him if if he remembered me, and he said yes, which was like the kindest lie you could tell. That's so nice. It's a really nice lie. I wonder where your sister saw Andy Richter. I can't remember. But we also, so that was one of two great Max Weinberg stories we told previously. The other, of course, you and Ronnie Coppola working for the weekend yes. at his house. Hey, I don't know. Bruce might come On by. Max's farm. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, you think you got $50 for hard labor? I think I, I remember being like excited about the money because yeah. I was broke, but I was also probably being taken advantage yeah. of. We talked a little bit about the anti-show being produced in mini-control at NBC Studios. The the alumni of the anti-show is crazy. When you think about it. Every once in a while, like, Mindy and I are watching CNN, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, Gellis just broke that news. Yeah, and, of course, our friend Andrew Giovanni has had a lot of different jobs. I know he was at AOL for a while. I think he was at Huffington Post. I actually don't know what he does right now. writer about town. Writer about town. But you know what he and his family did? They moved to Hoboken. They moved out of the city, and they live in Hoboken, now our old stomping grounds, which is, uh, it's nice to know that he probably brings the kids to Benny Tadino's for a slice. I like to hear that. By the way, moment of silence for Benny Tadino, who has passed since the last time you were on the Blackcast, which is only relevant to people yeah. who know Hoboken, but uh, lucky enough to meet Benny Tadino a couple of times. I was able to introduce him to my wife. That's all that really matters. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he would actually be there a lot more often in the later years for whatever reason. That's so, funny. you know, I'd go once a year or two. And he was just always sitting out front. My biggest memory of him is is, is him sitting in the back of his restaurant getting a back massage from a cop. <laughs> I just kind of like I was paying at the counter and I saw out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, I don't know what's going on over there, but Benny is winning. Yeah, Benny is definitely winning. And that sounds that sounds kind of like the sort of arrangement they would have there in, in Hoboken. Uh, so, yeah, so we talked about that. Oh, and also we should mention that the anti-show, which our friends uh, Andrew Tavani, Kevin Miller... And David Gellis produced with someone we also knew named Dave Rubin, mm-hmm. who is now huge, like, Rubin Report. semi-conservative, but I guess he's more of a libertarian, like, pundit. And I've worked on projects where he's ended up being a guest on it. I've worked on shows that he's been on and podcasts and stuff, not while I was working there. He's really made a name for himself carving that out. But i just wondering, like, how did he not get a full-time job talking about Golden Girls and Transformers? Because those are his real loves. Wheelhouse. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then Kevin Miller, of course, doing, uh, he's a uh, segment producer, or he probably has some better title than that, but he's a segment producer of Seth Meyers. Yeah, and I remember when my old boss, Dennis Miller, was on Late Night with Seth Meyers, I think in the first season of that show, Kevin was doing the pre-interview. So I sent him a message like, hey, you want some pointers for things to ask him? So I talked to him. So I did the pre-interview, the pre-pre-interview with Kevin before he did the pre-interview with Dennis. 
So, so I was like, here's some things to ask him. The takeaway from all this is if you become old, you run into everybody again. Yeah. It's pretty much what happens. All our stories like, I saw Greg Cohen again. I saw Kevin again. Yeah. I, saw I have not seen Kevin in a while. You know, and then, of course, our friend Simi Kostanowicz created that show, Impractical Jokers, which is, you know, huge. And, it, like, they do tours, and it's such a big deal. And sometimes I'm just like, I wonder if someone like that will see that I'm their Facebook friend and be like, well, I don't know why. I'm just going to get rid of him. I wonder if they, because, you know, shows internally always have, like, a shorthand. I wonder if they call themselves Jokers. If it's like, all right, so for next Jokers, we got to get this thing Probably. ready. got to get that yeah. thing ready. Um, we got a Joker shoot on Monday. I used to work with a guy who worked on Who's the Boss, and he'd always be like, well, back when I was on Boss. <laughs> well, because what are you going to call it? Who's? Yeah, oh, it, it, I understand it's efficient, but it, it sounds like, it always sounds like the slightest bit like I went to college in Boston. Oh, you went to Harvard? Oh, yeah. By the way, the... The idea that you could have that many stories that start with, well, back when I was on Boss, I think that there should be a Boss cast where he just tells stories about working boss on cast. Who's the Boss. I mean, I don't know how long he was there. Long enough to probably have a he few. He worked on Married with Children, too. Yeah, in, like, a production office capacity. So it was always stories about, like, um, lunch runs and filing. It's funny. I... Uh, because of my work at AfterBuzz TV and The Tomorrow Show, I work with a, a lot of younger millennial types. And I passed on sage-like advice that I learned from Al Bundy in the Married with Children pilot to a girl who she thought about it. And she's like, wow, that's a really good point. So, and I remember, I don't know how this stuck with me, but Peg says, what are you thinking about? And Al's answer is, if I wanted you to know. I would have told you. And I was just like, you know, don't don't always tell what you're thinking about because yeah. sometimes what you're thinking about is like, I'm thinking about where does this relationship go? No, you know, it's not always the time for that. So I think that there are probably a lot of other lessons you could learn from Al Bundy, like no ma'am, just off the top of my head. That's probably a good one. Oh, yeah. And, and just, uh, I was trying to think of what his catchphrase was, but I guess he doesn't have one. He just kind of walked out of the bathroom and flushed the toilet. Yeah, although that was more Archie Bunker's catchphrase. Al's catchphrase was to sit on the couch and put his hand down his pants. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know that we can really recreate that for an audio-only podcast. It was podcast, like but... the most television-friendly you could grab your balls. Yeah. He would, like, like rest the palm of his hand firmly on his abdomen <laughs> yeah. with his thumb still sticking out. But his thumb had to be, like, on the belt loop. Otherwise, probably I, I, I can imagine yeah. the, the conversations. But, see, that's another great thing. So this guy you know who wrote on Who's the Boss also wrote on Married with Children. Like, great. Oh, no, he was a production office coordinator. He was a production coordinator. office coordinator. Well, <laughs> He ordered, um, like, notebooks for both offices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. So, wait, yeah. so he didn't write for either show? No, no, no. Oh. He was... Um, All right, so I'm going to cancel the order for six episodes of the Boss cast. I, I thought <laughs> that he was a writer on it. I thought that the writer's room... Because, as we know from the Friends lawsuit and anyone who's ever been in a writer's room, the story's out of the writer's room are just crazy. I can only imagine the pitches for episodes of Who's the Boss that they were like, well, no, we oh, can't. Yeah. Really, or know. like which actors they, they, they like secretly hated and always talk shit about. Probably Tony. If I, I'm just guessing. He has a new show. Tony uh, Danza does. Tony Danza, and I forget what it's called, but he's like a cop who like knows the old school ways, and he has, and his name, of course, his character's name is Tony. Yes. And he, his son is like the new school cop, and they butt heads. His son's name is Tony Jr. 
<laughs> is there a female cop named T-O-N-I, Tony? Or Let's get this happening. That's yeah, I mean, because if there isn't, we'll have to have a guest. I think it's just gotten easier. And we've talked about this. I don't. Well, I know we didn't talk about it on the podcast last time you were on, but we have talked about this just in our private lives. I feel like he just can't answer to anything other than Tony because all the shows he's been on, and he's actually been on a number of shows besides Taxi and Who's the Boss. There are some shorter-lived shows. And I can't remember the name of one, but there's one that was on in, in I think, the early 2000s. And his name was Tony on that show as well. And it would be it, fun to go through his IMDb. I think when he was in, God, what's that movie? Going <laughs> Ape? <laughs> of course, Going Ape. Um, it was a more recent movie, Scarlett Johansson and um, what's his name from Third Rock from the Sun? His girl grown up now. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Levitt. Oh, he, yeah. He played his dad. It was Don Juan something or other. Oh, that movie was great. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I feel like that's the kind of movie where they don't name him Tony because it's not like a like your lovable sitcom friend. He was like a mean dad. Yeah, no, he was not lovable Tony at all. Uh, that movie is just called Don John, by the way. Don John, yeah. And I'm going to click on that movie on IMDb, DB, not IMDP, although I could start that one because it's the collection of uh, directors of photography, the yes. IMDP. <laughs> Tony Danza's name in that film? John Sr. Ooh! So his name was not Tony in that movie. I wonder if that's the only one in his whole career. Is this important? No. But am I about to look? Yes, mm. of course. Because I'm going to click on all filmography. And I'm just going to go with actor. I don't need to see when he was a producer. Honestly, so he's had character names like Chicky, Matt Morelli, Simon. Oh, no. no, no. What, what did he play Simon in? Something called The Whisper. Yeah, that's why I don't. That's why I haven't heard of it. Yeah. If he's not Tony. I'm not watching. I'm, I'm not interested. Oh, the Tony Danza show, which is the one from the '90s that I apparently didn't remember. His name was Tony DeMeo, so Tony won there. I think when he's the lead, although he was on something called Family Law for 44 episodes, his name was Joe. So really, huh. you can tell Hudson Street was the show I was thinking of, 1995, oh, okay. 1996. He was Tony on that. So you can tell when he's in the driver's seat and when he's able to be known as Tony and when he's not. Yeah. You know, probably those projects all say executive producer Tony Danza. I guess there's a certain like Tony essence he has and when they want him to do that, when you when they want him to like boss it out, so to yeah. speak, <laughs> like or, or you know, be be a taxi, he'll be billed as Tony like that. But when they want him to just be like some guy like ah, oh, he's like a bookkeeper from the neighborhood, but he's not like doing a shtick, maybe that's when he's Simon or something. Take a look at him. He's a Tony. You see that face and you're like, I kind of want him to be Tony in that. You yeah. know, I mean, I guess you could call him Rocky, but really that's just sly. You know, nobody else is ever Rocky. So if he were to ever win an Oscar, when he wins an Oscar, when he wins an Oscar, the role he's playing will not be Tony. You know what I mean? Like the the, the, the caliber of like dramatic Oscar-winning movie uh, roles is probably not a Danza thing. Most likely, he will play Antonio in that film, <laughs> and he's going to be so good at it. Antonio, yeah, yeah. Uh, something that I just had the stray thought that I wanted to talk to you about that has nothing to do with uh, our illustrious showbiz careers and showbiz connections. But I was just thinking the other day, and I knew that you and I were going to get together on the blackest. So I was just thinking about how much I love news radio. Oh yeah. And and how I, I believe that was probably your favorite show of all time. It's it's up there. And it's I don't know that it's on anywhere anymore. I'm sh I assume you can stream it somewhere, but mm. I don't I don't even know where to find news radio it at was, this point. It was Netflixable for yeah. a long time. 
I've like for various like Christmases where people didn't know what to get me, I have the DVDs. Right, so you don't even need to look for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but the last time I wanted to watch them, I remember being like, "Oh, it's on Netflix," or at least two seasons were, and it was easy. But that might have been a couple years. Yeah, ago. and it's just funny to think about what a great show that was in terms of the collection of people that they put on it. You know, of course, Dave Foley as Dave, by the way. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe he was trying to be the new Tony Danza yeah. because he's since played characters not named Dave. He's also since like doubled in size. Yeah, I was gonna say he usually only plays fat Dave Foley in things. And I think I've told you that I ran into him at Mad Men parties where he was incredibly drunk, because uh, one time included him laying down on the ground at a one, at one of those rooftop bars in downtown L.A. But he was carrying on and holding court like you would want Dave Foley to. And he, of course, didn't say anything or interact with him anyway. I just sat from afar with a, a friend of my wife's, and we just watched. And we're just like, this is great. This is the best Dave Foley show I could ever see. I will mangle this story, so I'll just make it quick and get to the point, because it's not my story. My friend Joe... Um, was that like you know that bar hotel cafe on on Coenga? Sure, like, yeah. You can watch live bands play. He went and saw some musician there. Like, I don't remember who, but he liked the guy and he wanted to like meet him or get him autograph or something at the end. So he was waiting in line. And he saw Dave Foley there, and when Dave Foley realized he was like waiting to talk to the band, he kind of like shook his head like, "What a loser!" <laughs> that, that some like you know thirty five year old man is waiting to meet another thirty five year old man to say he likes how much he sings songs or something. <laughs> I had a different Dave Foley run-in where I went to see Alice Cooper at the then Microsoft Theater. I don't know. No, it's now the Microsoft Theater. Back then it was the Nokia Theater down at LA Live. One of those things where I had front row tickets because I bought them when they went on sale, one of those deals. And I was sitting in the front row, and Dave Foley comes all the way down to the second row where someone he knew was sitting, and he just like taps them on the shoulder and gives them the finger. They're very friendly about it. And then he had to go all the way back up to his seats which were much further back. And I was just like, well, that's kind of funny. I'm like, look, it's Dave Foley. He was not quite as fat back then. This was a good 10-plus years ago. Oh, man. This yeah. is the podcast where we make sure that Dave Foley never wants to work with either of us. I'm pretty sure. Well, you haven't said anything. Yeah, well, no, I've said all the bad things. Yeah, oh, you, you haven't really said I've anything. I've been using the Al Bundy trick and keeping it all in my head. Yeah. That, <laughs> see, think about the lessons we can learn I from Al Bundy. I have a few unflattering stories. That you don't want to tell. Yeah, but they don't involve me, too. So I'll just... I, I think that... Uh, just getting to see it. Look, I think he would be like, oh, yeah, I did get drunk at a few of those Mad Men parties, which was funny, too. Because he's just he, like, why didn't you? <laughs> yeah. He was there because Jessica Perret, who played Megan Draper on the show, her real life boyfriend was really good friends with Dave Foley. So he would be at a number of these events, and he did not get drunk at all of them. But I'm, of course, remembering the two where he oh, did. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what sticks out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, the times where he was an affable bloke and said hi to people. Yeah, that's versus, not like, the time you saw him eat a mini quiche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, just total flashback to our friend Kevin Miller falling asleep on a plate of pancakes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And you're trying to take those pancakes, and he woke up enough to stab you with his fork. That was at Denny's or something? That was at a Denny's, which is actually a story we'll tell in a little bit, okay, uh, where sure. that Denny's was and why we were there so late at night. Yeah. But there's so many things to talk about, and I think a good transition is the fact that you and I both are long retired out of the stand-up comedy game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did it for a, a little while. Uh, and by a little while, I mean like a year, maybe two. I don't know about you, but we would only really do it at Gladys's as part of these sweet polyester shows that our friend Tom Kelly put together. And we actually also helped produce and book. And it was filled with all of our friends. And the studio had all of our friends. So it was a pretty friendly room. I think it was the most friendly room. Yeah. Except sometimes when 
Tom would heckle people in the audience from the stage, which was actually always entertaining. He and I have talked about on Tom's been on the podcast a couple times, and we've talked about you know people that he's insulted and said things like no wonder your fiance left you and things like that in dark moments of dark comedy. <laughs> so we used to do those shows. But is that the only stand-up you did, or did you I ever... I did some... I was just thinking this. The first... Like, when I interned at, at Conan during college, I didn't know anybody in New York. Right. And that was when I was like, oh, I'll try stand-up. And so I had nothing to do at night. So I did a bunch of weird places. Remember Chris DeLuca, who's also I'll give him the writer at large title. I don't know where he is right now. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a great Facebook friend of mine that mm-hmm. I'm always you know will comment and joke about stuff. But I haven't actually but seen him in Chris ten years. Chris was like the graphics coordinator at Conan or some sort of you know job. Did that by day, but it was like a big stand up by night. And he had a list of like all the open mics in town. And he gave it to me, and I think I have it somewhere. I, I hope I do because it it was kind of funny because it would say like this place. Um, it's great if you like a little bit of Andy Kaufman performance art, but it's bad because some of that performance art is like a guy putting his dick in a glass of water for an hour. And like he was right. It was like one of those weird places where like someone's going to stand on stage and like pull their hair out one by one and put it in a glass jar and then everyone claps or something. So when you did the open mic there, uh, how long did you leave your dick in the glass of water? Did you I, go the full hour or did you take it? My goal was to, to get to the beginning of pruning, <laughs> but not get too far. So, and you did some of those. I did some mics. of those and just kind of fucked around and like, by fucked around, I mean, I don't mean didn't try. I mean, tried very hard, but did very poorly. Right. Um, but, but also like was not doing the thing where like you, the thing you have to do where you're like driven and you just run the same set around town every night. Just like really. Yeah. I mean, I've in. heard plenty of professional comedians. I recently heard an interview with TJ Miller. Uh, actually, it was an interview with Jim Norton on the Sirius XM show that Jim co-hosts with Sam Roberts. And TJ talked about how much he likes to kind of take the same set around and do it like six times in a night. You yeah, know? That's and, but, like, and by like set, I mean like eight minutes that he's working on. You I know? mean, I, that I, I can totally, and I, and I feel like I've, I've, we've talked about this before. That's when I realized I was a writer. Like, I love coming up with new material, but the idea of like just like performing it constantly and like tweaking it and honing it, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I mean, first of all, I'm, it's, I didn't choose. Um, not to do it like I, I didn't have a career in front of me that I said no to <laughs> I just knew that like my attempt at that career would be no good because you, I wouldn't you, enjoy it and I also you didn't turn it. down a lucrative career from Carnival Cruises to be the resident yeah. stand-up comedian <laughs> um, but yeah like oh I like coming up with material and, and in a way like I guess going around and performing it at, at eight places a night is almost like doing a rewrite but you can't do it like on your laptop in your office, which I do. You have to do it in front of drunks who are probably angry yeah. at you. But I, I did some other places. I did uh, DeLuca and this guy, um, Julius Sharp, who is like a big deal, like writer producer now. In, yeah. Uh, out yeah, here I see his name sometimes, uh, you know, and attached to various things. So. Yeah. Um, they had a show at, at a place called Indigo, up, like Upper West Side. Yeah, I went Blue, to a couple of those. And I went to one of those and just like, like, like Chris, like, did me a favor and put me on there. And I, like, I've never bombed so hard. Like it was just like like it wasn't even just like groans. It was like it was it was the ultimate like bomb. I felt so bad, and every once in a while I'm just like, if I see him, like that's the first thing I think of. I you, doubt it. I doubt it's the first thing he thinks of. He probably doesn't remember me at all. But he doesn't remember that time that you bombed so badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At his like open mic uptown or whatever that he did every day for three years. <laughs> <laughs> 
the funny thing is that, you know, those of us who did stand up at that time in New York, you know, the majority of these shows were at Gladys's comedy room oh, yeah. the, in the back of Hamburger Harry's. Gladys later had another room somewhere else. Whenever I would talk to Tom, I would ask if he'd run into Gladys whenever he's been on the broadcast. And I've gotten some updates. I don't know what she's doing right now at the moment. But it's funny because... Even that room had success stories, like Jim Gaffigan was the big name. Oh, yeah, we hear him all the time. He got that Welcome to New York show, and she was always like, you know, if you want to be like Jim. (laughs) And it's funny you mentioned that, because I I remember uh, Dennis Miller telling me that the only advice that he ever got from Mitzi Shore, legendary owner of the Comedy Store. And legendary owner of Polly. You need to wear more sweaters. That was it. That was all she gave him, was that uh-huh. he needs to wear more sweaters. And we all know Dennis Miller as the comedian who always wears sweaters. Have you watched that Showtime I'm Dying Up? I'm di- I have not seen it yet. Have I you seen it? No, I I'm very interested in the concept. I know Jim Carrey was fairly involved in it. I, I don't know what level. I but... hear it's not good, but I love the area of it. I kind of, I want to watch the documentary <laughs> version, right. you know? Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny because we watched like an Eat Your Hollywood story about the comedy store, I think. And we're just all these names that were thrown around, like Argus Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. We still talk about. I mean, he's a legendary LA comedian, and it's just all these people. Your Tom Dreesen, all these guys had great stories about an era that I don't know. I didn't know that much about. You no, know, when we it, moved here, supposedly a very good book about the the strike, like the the um, when the comedians went on strike. I think it was Comedy Store or maybe Laugh Factory. Maybe it was. It might have been both. Yeah. Or all of it. I don't know. But supposedly that's a very good story about just like who was in that era and all the people. That yeah, were. no, because it's it's literally it's like everybody. You know, even New York comedians would end up doing. Yeah. Some stuff out at, at I read, those venues. I read Al Franken's book like a couple weeks ago, and half of it is like his pre-Senator Franken days, and so a lot of it was just like him, like the Franken and Davis as a comedy team on the road, and they would come out here and do and do their LA shows too. So it's like, oh, yeah, everybody. I would be interested in the Senator Al Franken stuff, but I'd be fascinated by the comedian comedy writer. Ground floor at SNL, and is I'm there a chapter by both in the way that like his perspective on being a senator is very much like what mine might be? You know what I mean? Like because like he's coming from the places that we are. Like that's a good when point. When you hang yeah. out with comedy people all the time, and then suddenly you're hanging out with government people, this is the difference or whatever. Yeah. You know? Is there a chapter on the 1985-86 season of SNL? I hope he does talk about how much it sucked and how much he was part of it. He was, yeah, because Lauren wanted to take a back seat, and I think Franken and Davis were put in charge. I mean, you read the book, I yeah, didn't, well, but that's was, my understanding. Was of like, it. it was like the youth movement. Like, yeah. it was like, it was, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, he's so young. And Robert Downey Jr., and yeah. John Cusack, and the couple people that they kept Dennis Miller, John Lovitz, Nora Dunn. I think those were the only three I that think they it kept. Might be. And obviously, those are great, versatile uh, SNL performers. Nora Dunn, who most people now know as, oh, that lady from commercials. But. Yeah, that's a great career. And I've seen her play a mom a couple times. She was Schmidt's mom on New Girl. Yeah. Uh, so she gets she gets good mom she roles. She pops up here and there. I remember I remember being happy when Jan Hook started popping up more more often, you know, before she stopped popping up anywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, after SNL, she got a, a pretty high-profile gig. She was like the last season or two seasons of Designing Women. Yeah. So that I was very because I always liked her. I thought she was so funny. But after funny. that, she kind of like disappeared and you know yeah. went off to like a farm somewhere and had like her life of problems. But like she started making, she was in like Thirty Rock and she started popping up like more recently. Like oh yeah, like I do remember her being to on late two thousands. Yeah. I remember being excited because she's like one of the best like uh, you know yeah it's sad because it's a very similar time period that Dana Carvey kind of went away like they were both barely around and like these are like two of the funniest people on the planet and Dennis will always say that 
doesn't matter what anybody else thinks is what he thinks that Dana Carvey was the best performer ever in the history of Saturday Night Live because of just the versatility, how much he can do. You can you can make cases about a lot of people, but also because he was there so long, but not the 14, 15 years like some yeah. people. Yeah, and he'd also, like, you know, there's a hundred ways to be good on that show, and, like, there's, like, Hartman style where you can play a million characters and be funny and, and good, but, like, Carvey could play a bunch of characters, but get like huge, huge laughs as all of them. Like I don't know, he's just so yeah. Good. No, Dennis would talk about how he would take marginal concepts like the grumpy old man, and you know he'd lean into him before they went on. He's like, "This is gonna eat a piece of shit, and or, this is gonna take a shit on the stage or whatever." And he's just like, "Just watch," and he'd kill with like grumpy old man, which is just like back in my day. And I love that character. I I I would listen to stories like that on a loop for like three weeks. That's I love that when we did the radio show we would have carvey on for an hour and you know a couple times he would tell the same story but great stories about the sitcom he did with mickey rooney and nathan lane and mickey rooney made friends with nathan lane because and he would just nudge him about that fruit dana carvey you know and it's just like i was with this guy you know he's not a real man like us but <laughs> you know for like the six weeks that they did the show and yeah i mean carvey has such great stories and all those guys do and i don't know i mean that's really my thing is i've always been so fascinated with snl i think that was the first thing in entertainment in show business that i was like i need to know everything about this show yeah. and when we were kids it was not as easy to know everything no. about it now you didn't have cable so i at least had the nick at night half hour reruns of like the best of snl so i could see some of the old sketches but there was always kind of that dead zone the non-lorn era yeah that when i had comedy central i finally got to see like eddie murphy and some of the truly horrific seasons that existed VHS as well just helped me out in a million ways with that because first i would like i remember being at like my grandmother's house and she let me stay up to watch saturday night live because danny devito was on it because she thought he was really funny and uh so i stayed up and i watched it and that was you know it was hans and franz it was i think it was like the twins era of, of devito yeah and so i like oh this is really funny and i watched the next week and that's like that was the matthew broderick sketch where they said penis a hundred times or something so i started seeing it but that i also wasn't old enough to stay up every week so like my parents i'd have them like recorded on a vhs tape like, they would, like, usually go out to dinner or something on a Saturday or stay in and rent a movie or whatever, and I would leave a VHS tape with the same fucking post-it that was there for, like, three years that said, like, press this button on the VCR, hold this other button for three seconds, turn this to, like, instructions on, like, how to record it from, from 11.30 to 1 or, or from, like, 11.25 to 1.05 or whatever. Right, which is exactly what I would do because I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss the very beginning of the show when the studio audience is already laughing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I would Sunday morning I would watch it on VHS. Yeah. But then as far as the old stuff, like friends of mine would have like the best of Chevy Chase or we'd rent it or the best of Ackroyd. Right. They did have those Belushi. in video stars. Yeah. And then so that that was all I knew of that era. And then best of Eddie Murphy came out, and that was all the only insight I had. Yeah, I had never seen any of those sketches. It was years before I saw them. Yeah, the best of Eddie Murphy. I was just like, oh yeah, that's right. He was. He was Gumby and, you know, Buckwheat, and you got to see all, all the great stuff. And it's just the thing that I was always so fascinated with. And it's funny to think back on now when I was an intern there. You know, I'd be there early in the mornings just, like, doing stuff, and a lot of times nobody else was there. I, I would just 
take like the big master tapes out of out of the bunk room, which became our friend Kevin's office at one point. Yeah. Now they have it all digitally. But I would I would copy just whole episodes so that I could watch them at home. I'm like, I've never seen this. Yeah. And they had like old dress rehearsals. So I was just like, I, I don't even know what I need to do. I photocopied here. scripts when I was. Oh, that, oh that's right. I remember you have some scripts that never were produced, right? I have some, some of those, but I also have some like I would find like an episode from like the, my sweet spot years, like the 89 through 93 or something like that. And, and I took, like, a whole episode or two worth of scripts. Because, like, you'd look at the writers and it would just be, like, O'Brien, Daniel, Smigel, Odenkirk, like, wrote this sketch <laughs> yeah. together. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, oh, so great. Some of the biggest uh, comedy minds of the last 25 years all sat down and all worked together. wrote, on that. like, the sketch where Dolly Parton was in a mine and people were, were like, hallucinating because there was gas. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and that had a lot to do with just sort of my outlook on what was funny. And, you know, Dennis Miller was a big part of that because he was the guy who just happened to do the news at the period where I started watching every week and where I really liked the show. But also, I mean, he owned that segment in a way no one else has. You can make the argument that Chevy did as well because he invented it, but he didn't really do it for that long. I I, I think Dennis is probably, like, the best ever. Like, I don't know. Again, biased because that was, like, my era, and I think people have done well since. I just like the way he did it. Yeah, and I think, like, I have a soft spot for Norm, but it was not considered to be a wildly successful uh, run there at the anchor desk. But, uh, you know, wildly successful doesn't come up a lot in Norm McDonald's career. NBC reruns at 10 o'clock on Saturday Night Live, at, at Saturday's old Saturday Night Live yeah. now. And for some reason, Mindy and I were watching, or we were flipping by, and we saw it was Norm doing the news, and there was just like three OJ jokes in a row where like it wasn't even a joke. It would just be like, OJ Simpson, blah, 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 today. He looked to the camera and said, I am a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I turned to Mindy and I'm like, this is why you got fired. This is why you got fired. Yeah. The story I told the last time you were on, four plus years ago, was that I went to a dress rehearsal in 1997, and Weekend Update is about, about five minutes longer or so in dress rehearsal, and they were just trying out a lot of jokes. And I still have the tape, but now it's so old, I wonder if it even plays. It's literally 20 years old at this point. And there's jokes that are just dying. There's one voice you hear in the studio laughing, and it's me. Like, <laughs> and, like no one's laughing except that's me. Great. But then, because no one's laughing, I'm laughing even harder. Yeah. You know? And that that's one of my favorite Norm MacDonald moments. And I got to know him a little bit and had real conversations with him. But still that moment of being in the studio and laughing at it. But anyway, we got down that rabbit hole because I was talking about all the time that we did stand-up comedy. Not, not and, because your guests were writing in, or your, your viewers were writing in, saying, like, what are you and some guy we don't know's perspectives on watching TV in 1989? Right, but I think people are... A lot of people who listen to the podcast are fans of the same style of comedy, obviously. They probably found this through the old Dennis Miller show. So I think it's a lot of shared interest. Yeah. But That would actually I- be an interesting call-in type of situation. I love to hear other people's like weird, like, this is how I discovered watching SNL. Like, I used to... They played it at a bus station that I used to have to wait in for 10 minutes every Saturday night or whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of people have stories similar to the the ones that we have. In fact, a, a friend of Heather's who worked on Mad Men with her, uh, Carly, who's gone on to write on a bunch of big shows. She's one of the people creating 
possible Game of Thrones spinoffs. So she's in a very sweet spot in her career. They're like developing three possible Game of Thrones spinoffs, uh, HBO. For the thrones verse. Right. They're going to pick one, but they're like all in on really trying to make all three of these shows as rich as possible. And I was just like, well, talking about being rich, <laughs> you know, if you if you end up creating and show running a Game of Thrones spinoff. But anyway, she has similar stories about growing up in Texas and she would tape SNL and rewatch them. And then when she first got Comedy Central, she would always tape it like hoping to get their specific episodes that you kind of wanted to see and things like that so I think a lot of people found SNL in that way but Tim makes a good point we want to hear your SNL stories maybe we can get Tim to come back at some point less than four years if we can get a lot of people that want to talk about SNL I, I can do I can do a week of shows about SNL the good the bad I didn't even talk about bad things I just want to talk about the oh, good yeah, stuff right with now like a thing that you you are so into of course you don't like a lot of it like yeah, it's, it's, there's it's, so much to not like you yeah. know, I mean, it's weird. It's like some kind of Stockholm syndrome that I still watch the whole show every week. I'm always oh, asleep yeah. when it's on, except for last season when they started running it live on the West Coast and I could actually like watch it at 830. Then I then I saw a little bit of it. But it's it's a hard show to watch in real time when you're in your 40s because there's just there's a lot of dead space. There's a lot of commercials. There's bands I usually have never heard of at this point, mm-hmm. and then I see a minute, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I, I'll go to the also news. Also hard being like like an old cranky comedy writer watching it because you're just like, all right, I know what the sketch is. Like you see, after yeah. ten seconds, you're just like, okay, so his hair is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger <laughs> into the end when it's like so big it touches the moon, and then we're done. <laughs> yeah, but I had a similar approach to stand-up comedy, which is what got us into that little conversation and it was I liked the few minutes where I was on stage telling jokes but mostly because I was telling jokes in front of my friends but the rest of that day and the hours leading up to it that well that wasn't really fun but like you said coming up with new material and sharing ideas and want to see if people thought they were funny that I was very interested in. I, I liked that. You know, I, I remember I, I came back from Europe, so I had a good Europe chunk at one point, and it was just a lot of... It's funny, because my this was on my mind because my wife was asking me, like, well, what was your stand-up like? And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. I have notes that I saved, that, I, and I just remember talking about walking around Amsterdam where, you know, the, they have the women in the window sitting there trying to solicit you. But if you walk around during the day, they're sitting there just, like, reading their books and you know just flipping around and then they see that like a guy's walking by so they drop the book and they immediately try to put their leg around their head and start touching their clit you know like that yeah so it's i mean look and it's very impressive but uh, i i did keep walking because i was on my way to the pancake house but i had a lot of just things like that and i was like i don't know and I remember I had material about how at that point in my life I was out of work and I was living at home and yet I was having the most success ever in terms of dating a lot of women or not even dating and I was just like I think it's because I'm I'm that guy like the guy that your mom wouldn't want you to date and you meet me and you're like oh yeah this guy's awful <laughs> you know just dumb stuff like that but I was trying to remember, I remember our friend Jenny Kramer, now Jenny Gilroy, had some jokes that I liked. There's a lot of Nintendo material that I enjoyed. You had some joke about a hostage that I couldn't remember. There was something oh, about a train whistle. Yeah, yeah and I, I was just like, God, it was so long ago. I had a million jokes. million. I had a million jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell I you, stop? kid, I got a million jokes. You were, you, were you were the first Jackie the Joke Man. You I were Timmy a, the Joke Man. I had several dozen jokes that were all just like independently like, oh, this is a funny thing that never added up to any sort of yeah. like persona or or like 
had any through line through a set so like it they're hard to remember because they were all just like little like quick hit jokes but the one i do remember hey what's the deal with pockets oh yeah you put things in them because that was the the, the height of what's the deal what's with? the deal with yeah and and just that was the one that you'd always get the jenny kramer <laughs> laugh from the back of the back of the, the stage about that. Yeah, i don't know if she still laughs that. i feel like she must still laugh that way i don't think you change your laugh <clears throat> no, and I mean, or actually, I mean, Eddie Murphy doesn't like. He de- here, here's why you don't hear that anymore because he doesn't laugh. He anymore. has no joy in his life. <laughs> There's no joy in his life. <laughs> oh no! Why isn't anyone saving him? Like, uh, uh, you know, I think people try to save him. You know, look, Tracy Morgan showed up at a, at an event that honored him wearing the leather suit. You know, the size that would have been Eddie Murphy's size at that time. And of course, Tracy's just like spilling out of it. And he did laugh there, but I don't think we got the <laughs> that. Um... I think it might have been originally presented as like a hundred tweets, but that whole Norm Macdonald oh, yeah. story about how Eddie Murphy wouldn't like shit on Bill Cosby during that uh, SNL re- anniversary thing was really interesting. Would have been such a great just cutaway quick joke of Eddie Murphy dressed as Bill Cosby, who, by the way, he does not have an affinity for. Bill no. Cosby was someone who he was, was like, in, I think, Raw. He's like talking about the filth, filth, flarn filth. Oh yeah, yeah, he went out of his way to like call this young comedian and say you're doing it all wrong my wife camille handles the ticket money and you know it was a pretty brutal uh account of bill cosby where fortunately he listed all of his children including one who had passed away since especially you and i were re-watching it in the early 2000s and we're like oh yikes (laughs) right after that happened you know look eddie murphy felt that way and you're just like all right i mean he's entitled to feel that way but that's so disappointing because for the good of comedy you know i would have loved to have had that the interesting thing about the norm thing was norm's take on it was just like holy shit this superhuman being is able to resist an easy laugh like (laughs) like anyone could go out there right now and he could just like get the whole room would explode but like the great murphy does not need this that's true he doesn't i mean he doesn't need any of it but i'm just wondering like what does he need? You know, I mean, he must laugh at some point. See, this is what could be the title of the episode. He must laugh at some point. No. <laughs> Why doesn't Eddie Murphy laugh? Yeah. And it's a great question. And I, I'd like to know more. People can always tweet us at yeah. Blackcast or like the Blackcast on Facebook. Turn, turn that Murphy frown upside, upside down. down. <laughs> see, now that's a better title. So see, now we're, we're workshopping the possible title for the episode. Uh, so neither of us really felt like stand-up comedy was our preferred method for delivering jokes to the world. But fortunately, this was sort of the proliferation of the internet. And while we were a little intimidated by it at first, we had a few years of a decent run on a website we did called Inside Joke. Oh, yeah. And we had initially, we generated 100% of the content. Like we were writing everything. We were finding the pictures and trying to figure out HTML in a way that there weren't as advanced programs as there are now, where I'm just like, well, let me look at the code for this website. And okay, I'm going to bracket forward slash html here i remember stealing code from other websites um i remember stealing the cnn.com used to have a way where like there would be a picture and underneath it there would be like the caption and there was a red line under the caption kind of like separating it all from everything else i'm like oh i like the way that is i want that red line so i remember like learning how to go into the steal that red line code (laughs) <laughs> put it on our, and our side. there were like corresponding numbers to colors so if you oh. changed the numbers a little bit it was a little darker or a little lighter and you know that's still a thing and i forget where i had to do that in the last 
like four or five years. It might I I have like a like a just shitty website that has like my name dot com that has like my credits on it or whatever. Like it's an easy place to send people. Well, you could send people yeah. to timsicardo.com right now. I think I no, they don't need to go. There's nothing there's nothing interesting <laughs> there, but it's more like an online resume. But I think I needed to like like the the shade of black was wrong or something and I remember Googling like what's the five letter code for deep black or something. It was like, you know, <laughs> FF69 or something. Oh, I do remember the FFs. That's very funny. So, and I don't know, we spent, I guess we launched it in 2001 and we did it the first year, maybe two that we lived in LA. I forget exactly when it sort of went away, but I mean, we every month we wanted to put something up and it was a bunch of new art. You know, we, we had our recurring quizzes. We had our cast of characters, uh, yeah. some of whom, you know, I would love to develop, uh, you know, web shorts and things like that for. Like, that felt a lot better. I, I don't know what I thought I was going to get out of it. I guess, you know, what we were still doing that through 2004 because I remember giving Dennis Miller the card with the link and only because he asked, you know, conversationally, I mentioned that a website. I'm sure he never looked at it. Mm. But I was he was like, oh, I'd like to say it sometime. I'm like, okay. And I remember I remember there being like two thousand four election y stuff. I, I recently like I got a new laptop like like winter and I was transferring all my old data and in the process just like being like what the hell is this folder and just like yeah. kind of reorganizing stuff and I definitely found old like text files that that were like my inside joke TV idea files and they were all so terrible and some of them were like Cheney flips a burger or like it was like it was all like very much of a certain era but when he flips that burger, it always lands to the right yes, of the frying pan. Yes. That's the problem with yes, it. Yes, hashtag but Halliburton. It's funny because we hatched Inside Joke on that infamous bus trip we took up to Boston. Oh, yeah. And we were making ourselves laugh so hard at a late night bus trip that this guy in front of us was like, Can you guys keep it down? Like, And we're like, yes, we can, sir. It was one of those moments where yeah. you're like, uh, yeah, no problem. But, uh, yeah, just so many <laughs> crazy Captain yeah, oh, Carl. Like, yeah, I was, I was just about to say, I'm like, oh, sir, you don't, like, you're trying to sleep and you don't want to hear us talk about, like, this racist Klansman <laughs> who hosts, like, a kid's show? <laughs> yeah, the idea was that everything was very thinly veiled Klan-related uh, issues. And it's funny because in 2001, we probably would have felt comfortable putting that. I would not put anything like that up now. Like, no. 2017 is so different than 2001. Especially and, since both of us are in the clan now. <laughs> uh, mental note, make sure to edit that out. Yeah. Uh, to say that we're presidents of the clan <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> that was very Lovitz. Yeah. <laughs> I love Lovitz. Oh, you want to talk about people that I've had conversations with you just off the air, you know, and I'm just like... I can't believe I'm talking to him because he always sounds like that, you know. Gilbert Godfrey doesn't always sound like his Gilbert character, but that's not a character for Lovitz. That's just, you know, Lovitz. <laughs> Hello. But anyway, and we spent so much time in that. And then I was thinking about this earlier today because I saw a photo of Lisa Lampanelli, the comedian, who you know, lovable a, queen of mean. Yeah, the queen of mean, who's had a decent amount of success. I think she's done very well for herself. She is very good on those Comedy Central roasts regular guests on Howard Stern and a lot of other shows like that, Opie and Anthony, things like that. But she used to be part of the NYC comedy guide on our website. She would always send us, yeah. you know, like her shows. And I, I was just like, 
wow, how did her career in well, it, at was, this point it was only ten years. It so was that's... definitely from like a manager or something. Cause I remember yeah. I, I would get like it was basically like a press release. Yeah. And just to catch everybody to speed, I think at one point we had decided that if we kind of were the place you could go to to see who was performing in New York, maybe that would drive people to our website and also maybe make comedians go there because they'd want to contribute or yeah, something yeah, or yeah. whatever so you would get this jackass that's performing at this thing place you've never heard of but occasionally you would get like you know lisa lampanelli is performing at this place you have heard of and, and that was you know before she became all capital letters people knew who she was right yeah exactly and you know because it was such a unique name like i don't remember anybody else that we would list but because it was kind of a very distinctive name i remember that you know we were sort of very much on the fringes of what was going on in New York and probably if we had been the kind of people who liked hanging around comedy clubs that is how you would meet the people that you weren't maybe an NBC page with and I guess we just felt like well this new media is so great that we have this opportunity to put it out there and the last time you were on the Blackcast four years ago, we talked about how we were a few years too early for YouTube. And we had generated this content. We did a couple of short films, one called So Happy Together, which I think can be found online. I think both of them might be online. I forget. I had a guest on the Trump Report that was interested in how to make it in New York and $15 a day. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, I can't find it. I'm like, really? And I didn't look for it. But uh, I just, yeah, so they may be out there. And we all, we talked extensively about how we did our, our fake pilot of the reality show, Making the Joke, people that did comedy sketches, and how that was perfectly designed for what would become YouTube, which is like, look at this four-minute funny thing that it doesn't matter that it's from a larger project. Yeah. Just watch famous Conan personality Aaron Blair be a gigantic monster that comes into kids' rooms and smokes cigarettes. There was definitely a YouTube era of, and I think it's past, but I remember it was like, We'll make an hour and a half movie, but it'll all be able to be divided into three minute chunks. Yeah. Each three minutes will stand on its own. Which sounds like an impossible and, and terrible way to make a movie, but that was a thing. That was definitely a thing at one point. And I, I think that, you know, I don't know. I mean, if we had sort of kept making those things and posting them, we would have been able to post them at some point. But. That was the thing is we spent a lot of time and effort and you spent a lot of time editing and re-editing and you'd have to, of course, go to somebody's house to edit because, it, you know, they just took up too much memory to use all of these tapes from the cameras. I just want to sound Kevin, really old. Kevin's Kitchen. Kevin's Kitchen. And then when you were out here, uh, somebody that you knew from Wolf Films, you had to go to their house to edit, didn't you? I, well, I at that point, I was editing on my laptop because that was like the new revolution was that I had like Avid on my laptop. But... I went to some this guy, Bray. I think Kevin and I were talking about him last time I saw him. I kind of remember guy, that name. Bray something or other. He lived in like Topanga Canyon, and he was doing both sound design and like um, audio mixing. So it was like that kind of stuff, like the audio programs that I either didn't have or didn't know how to use or both. So I remember going out there and having him do that stuff. <laughs> and, and, of course, we weren't paying people, but we were just like, hey, like, I'll pick you up. Like, how about we pick up some food or something? Yeah. So, and Kevin was in town, so he went with me. So this guy, Bray, goes like, oh, stop by blah, blah, pizza place in, in um, Topanga Canyon on, on the way over to my place. And when I got there, he had placed an order for, like, seven pizzas and, like, six <laughs> salads. 
<laughs> and there's only three of us. So basically, he just like ordered so much food that he could like eat for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, you know, look, that's that's how to make it in L.A. on uh, five dollars a day. Yeah, or something. No dollars. On no dollars a day. That's true. On, it was all of your dollars. Free pizza a day. So, but I think that the lengths that we and on, in that instance, that's you. But the lengths that we collectively went to to get these short films finished didn't have us all excited to hey let's keep filming things and getting together now of course you can make something that looks great with your phone and yeah. i mean it wouldn't have the same production design that the stuff we filmed let's see 13 years ago now or 14 years ago actually would be when we filmed how to make it in new york in 15 dollars a day but you could still have something that looks great and in the course of i don't know like you could edit it on your phone and post it that afternoon if you really want yeah. to it's something that i i was like well i wish we hadn't missed out on that but then at the same time i was like well at some point i could have done that you know yeah yeah for sure i mean it, it was i remember being done with a thing and being so excited to be done and then you, we'd have like a screening with people that we knew and it'd be super fun and then it'd be like shit what can we do with this yeah. well this pizza place Every second Thursday has a half hour where they run short films. Okay, I guess we can maybe try to get in there. Oh, the pizza place turned us down. Like it, it was yeah. like it was so hard to put it in front of people because they certainly weren't going. I would submit to festivals, and then we got into a couple, but like it, the quality of these, they weren't going to Sundance or anything. So it was just like, how do you get eyeballs on a thing? Yeah, and you reminded me of something four years ago, but when I listened to it earlier this week, that our movie ended up on planes. And it was shown on planes, and it was a couple years later, and I was like, oh, yeah, we did end up on Frontier Airlines, I think. Yeah, there was, like, some, like, they were going to do a thing called, like, a like a film festival, a mile-high film festival or something, or, like, or several miles high. I don't know how high you are when you fly. Um, that was the idea. Like, you could, as your in-flight entertainment, you'd watch a bunch of, like, short films made by, <laughs> by amateurs <laughs> like us. Made by us, yeah. And then you would somehow cast your vote. I remember you talked about taking it around to little film festivals, but also just film nights in New York. And I don't know if you remember this, but it reminded me of a story you told me, something I didn't go to with you. But you brought it to some night where the guy would be like, all right, so now we got a movie that's really shitty. Let's see how long you oh, can watch it. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. It was like an ambush. Yeah. It was like gong show style. So, like, you know, it was, like, an 18-minute movie. So, like, the beginning is, like, a little slow, and you're learning who people are, and maybe there's some credits. And everyone's like, <laughs> It was the worst. <laughs> and I, I remember, remember being so mad. And I remember you telling me that, like, the only... All that you could really do at the end was you like found the guy afterwards and you gave him one of those super firm handshakes and you made eye contact with him and you're like hey man you're really an asshole that was fucked up or like you know i don't yeah. remember exactly That's what you basically said but it was, was just like because i mean there's not really much else you can do because the guy definitely ambushed you and of course he was just like man i am reinventing comedy i'm gonna take other people's hard work and just take a big old shit on it watch this that was like also i remember debating like i'm sure i'd written it like some angry letter to him or to his like the venue or whatever and like, it was one of those ones like like what do i get out of sending this you know what i mean like yeah. it, it you know like should i bundy this should i just like <laughs> like keep it like is, is there is there any benefit to putting these thoughts out in the world like what's he gonna do undo what already happened yeah just renounce his show for the same <laughs> future film no, it was, oh. 
Yeah, I I do remember you telling me a completely different story that I feel like is so far beyond the statute of limitations and it's so not specific. But I remember you telling me you went to see someone that you knew or worked with or whatever's film and it was so bad that all you could say to them after was, hey, man. You made a movie. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. I, I, someone gave me a VHS of this like really bad movie. It was like a feature and it was like on oh, film. No. So it was like they made, you know, it was, it was, it was the era of like Kevin Smith and Tarantino where like everybody makes a movie. Yeah. But it was before the era of everybody can afford had, to make the yeah. movie. And so it was really bad. And he played like, like a, like a mentally retarded man who was just like, you know, hitting himself in the head with a frying pan and like that kind of like level of, of hilarity. Um, <laughs> so like at the end, he's just like, or I gave, I gave him back the tape the next day. And he's like, so what do you think? And I'm like, you made a movie, man. That's awesome. And he goes, yep. That's the, that's the answer. That's a response to that. <laughs> Cause he, at that point, I think he had known it was bad and I was just, and he was like, I think I was an assistant on like Law and Order or something, and he was like writing there. So it was like his life turned out just fine. Yeah. And I was still like like doing our little shorts. So like I think I'd heard he did it. So I'm like, oh, I want to see what you did. And he's yeah. like, all right, sure, I'll give you this thing. It was almost like a test because if you told him like, hey man, it's really great. He's like, all right, this guy's full of shit, and <laughs> I can't trust him for anything. It's funny though because we knew so many people who had shorts and would you know let us borrow them and you know watch them and just little things that i remember i don't even remember who made the short chord called killer ideas but it sticks in my head and when we solicited music we had so many people send us music for how to make it in new york on 15 dollars a day and somewhere i i made sure that i had to save the cd that was submitted to us because nobody could email mp3s because the files were too big yeah i know what i'm saying this was 2004 uh shock and awe nation was an amazing work actually it's 2003 yeah and you and i drove see, see that exactly tells you like whatever we're and that was in like yeah it's a point when you can't war like you can't email a song because yeah. it's too big but shock and awe nation also like that like, yeah it was yeah. like right in the yeah that was a, a a stark commentary or at least an attempt at it and i i look i hope that guy had a very very successful musical career but i remember we were driving up to god man it was kanye west (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) george bush hates black people yeah that was that time frame so there you go yeah did anyone ever make a picture of mike myers face and put it on a t-shirt with a caption underneath that says george bush doesn't care about black people (laughs) i don't think so but that that, face dropped of all people that have to be standing next to kanye when he did that poor mike myers you know he's like hey man i'm just the love guru what are you trying yeah Oh no, he's not Lyle the effeminate heterosexual. I'm sorry, I almost gave him a Dana he's Carvey Lothar character. Lothar of the Hill People. That's who I was thinking of. Where's the Lothar of the Hill People movie? That's another to sort of round out this installment of the Black Cast. And Tim is going to stick around and talk to us a little bit more about some more stuff. But uh, we've we've almost talked out for this episode. But one of those great mysteries of how it just never came together is the Sprockets movie. Oh yeah. Which I think at one point Ron Howard was going to direct. There's like scripts of that around. Yeah, I know the Hans and Franz movie, the one that Conan and Smigel wrote. There's a script that is somewhere if you're on the internet. If you want. Yeah, to I would. I would love to have just read those. And I, I mean, I guess it's like sure, those things don't necessarily have to happen. But when it's Pat happened and Stewart saves his his family happened, I guess those were cheaper to produce. But it's like, how does Hans and Franz not happen? And Sprockets, I think, would be a little bit of a hard sell. And I think. That weird, absurdist approach probably was better utilized in Austin Powers than it ever would have been yeah. in a Sprockets movie. But I just 
liked those sketches. So the sprockets, I didn't even understand what was going on the first couple times they did it, but I'm like, well, he's got a monkey, and it's just like, it's so weird. It's one of those ones where, like, I mean, I guess you could say this about any sketch that becomes a movie, but, like, I don't see how you do that for 90 minutes without, like, just exhausting it. Like, it's basically just, like, it's funny voice, it's black and white, touch my monkey. Like, you know, you, you can fill three minutes with it pretty good, but then, yikes, what is he his dad is sick. He's gonna, you know, he's. <laughs> they have to put on a show to he, save he the. He meets uh, his long lost brother and they yeah. open a business. Like, what happens? Yeah, I remember reading about when they first did the Wayne's World movie, they like cut all the footage together and it was like 40 minutes. And they were like, oh, we gotta do more stuff. So that's why there's, you know, like, what's the longest Queen song they can sing at the beginning huh, of the movie? That's funny. I don't think that's actually how they picked that, but it was like, well, we've got six minutes now. That they certainly we had... weren't thinking about chopping it down. <laughs> no, 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 of course not not or chopping broccoli oh. no, that's not really what it was <laughs> you said that as if it was like some like it was this reference that came around for the from the beginning of I the know, episode but i wanted it to yeah. and, and and yet it didn't but uh you know there's uh, so much more to talk to you about and all we did is talk in a circle about stuff we liked when we were younger but i think that people will be interested in kind of hearing how you were able to kind of utilize that in the last, I mean, just these four years since you were last on the Blackcast, because you were just firmly writing on community at that point. But that was something we had to brush over because it was like, we need to use the studio. And oh, it was yeah. like, uh, you sort of basically you're like, yeah, so then I ended up writing on community. And it was like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll pull on that thread next time. And then it's like, oh, yeah, next time is, it, well, it's now, but it's actually next time from this next time because uh, it took a while look it's, it's a hard sell to be like hey tim you want to come out to culver city and do my podcast not really next What's time that? from this next time i'll put that in the running for uh for episode time. next time from this next time that is definitely in the running but uh for tim sicardo at tim sicardo don't go to tim he's not interested in you seeing that <laughs> you'll and, just see a little list of things, <laughs> things that he's done <laughs> it's basically called oh things exclamation yeah. point by the way don't try and find inside joke.tv because as soon as we let the ownership of that domain lapse it immediately was squatted upon oh yeah so it's, it's nothing i haven't looked in a while i don't know what's actually there right now what i know is that at one point it was immediately one of those hey you want to buy this domain domain i think it exists it's like if you go through like wayback machine yeah right? that's true you could look at yeah that'd be interesting it'd be funny to see you know what some of that stuff was my memory of like the last time i did that was like Maybe, like, half the graphics were missing and, like, the formatting was weird, but, like, you could still... Yeah, what it is is if you look at InsideJoke.TV, it's, like, a bunch of kind of nonsense words that it might be another language, you know, some kind of Scandinavian language, which, you know, fills my prophecy that it's just all nonsense words. There's a picture of a guy riding a horse and a bunch of nonsense. So that's what happened to InsideJoke.TV. I don't quite know what purpose that serves, but we had a similar thing happen with DennisMillerRadio.com. Related posts. Yeah, related more posts. Nonsense. <laughs> more nonsense. DennisMillerRadio.com, it was owned by the company that did the radio show, Westwood One, so of course they didn't have any reason to keep it alive after the end of 2015, and it immediately turned into like a Korean fashion site like link for buying clothes or something so which dennis owns and operates yeah to this day. which is yeah. why i make sure that i always renew blackcast.com and you know at some point maybe i won't but b-l-a-d-t-c-a-s-t.com that's very important when to you have. put a website in a tv show like you know they, they the legal team has to clear everything make sure that you know names and stuff and, and the studio has to buy it like forever right because when your show reruns in 10 years and they say like 
they mention this website explicitly and you go to it and it's all like foot porn or something now like, like that's like a legal problem yeah i remember when i was working at dennis miller's cnbc show i had an at nbc uni.com email address which i of course haven't had in a long time and because i had worked with the people that did clearances on scripts and things for law and order svu back in new jersey before that uh, I got an email my NBCU that asking if we wanted to renew the couple of these fake websites, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you do, but I'm definitely not the person to make these decisions, and I don't know who I forwarded it to. Probably, probably somebody in Neil Bear's office. You or know? maybe you didn't forward it and you just like laughed to yourself. I wanted to do that, but uh, you know, I, too good of a person. I, well, I was too good of a person, or just knew that one day I might try and get a job there, which. I consider uh, one of the worst periods of my life, which is another thing that we can talk about on the next time of next time. But uh, I want to—I do want to talk about Tim has worked on some great shows and has uh, contributed to the comedy world in a great way. And uh, I do this podcast, so I feel like uh, I want to give him some time to share his stories with you. But we'd be doing him a disservice if we tacked it on here. So we'll talk about next time, next time. But until then, that is Tim Sicardo at Tim Sicardo. I'm. Christian DMZ, at Christian DMZ. It's not my name. I'm Christian Blatt. And, of course, at Blattcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, and The Blattcast on Facebook. And we will see you next time, from next time, next time, on The Blattcast. Dig it, man. Sip from my tin can. And we'll watch the breakers. I prefer Sacramento King. To your LA Lakers, living in a nine-five cocoon, we'll put a crack in the plate. Joint custody of my goldfish rod. It just takes the cake. Shock and all nation. We're living in a shock and all nation. You know, another thing that makes women such a blessing to us, it's like when you're sitting somewhere and they come over and they say to you, what are you thinking? And you start thinking, you know, if I wanted you to know, I'd be talking. (laughs) 